We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Thank you. 
um, if you're near one and, and people have finished, do you want to just grab it and bring it down to the front? Yes. Awesome chase. Yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be great. I like these school pencils. Yeah, I was like, I need equipment, left on Friday. Post your notes, go through paper. <laughs> Give you guys uh, taxpayers' money. Hiding over there, cheers now. shows in this one. Um, people thinking they're quite informed as well, which again is probably a good thing. I wasn't planning on talking loads about that. Um, today I think I wouldn't want to waste time necessarily picking up loads of facts and figures um, and going through that. Um, what else have we got? It's really interesting. I think I can often feel like that as well. Uh, hope about the climate environment actually and no one particularly high on that, and I think that is a, it's a big thing, and it's really hard sometimes to, to be hopeful. I think it goes back to some of the things Martin was talking about this morning. Um, squished between those two places, kind of under pressure, and, and feeling the weight of that as well. Um, got some varied answers to how equipped you feel. Um, and that's one of the things I'd like to do a little bit today, is get the chance to speak with each other around you know, what practical steps can we actually take, are we taking, um, what more can we do. Um, to actually address our own impacts, perhaps, personally, on the climate. Um, most people are quite aware of their own impact um, on the climate as well. And then, yeah, there is. I think that's probably a fair reflection. Um, how do you feel what OH is doing? Um, I think in a lot of ways we're at early stages with that as a, as a church, perhaps. Um, and as a wider church as well. I think it's really interesting. Great question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. It's the honest answer. Yeah. Do you have an opinion? Um, I suspect the conversation goes on more within the age one because it's a younger community. Mm. I think, I mean, the environment is something that I've been interested in for a long, long time and I was very left field. Yeah. I think that's the overall kind of feel people often have, isn't it? I think the younger generation tend to be more informed, but I don't know whether that is, is necessarily the true, truth. I don't know. Um, I think there are a lot of people at OH2 certainly who are well informed, and I know there are a lot of people who, who do a lot of things, and 
there's a lot of passionate people, you know, Caroline Harman been around for a long time, obviously, and, and, you know, done an awful lot on that, and Jess and Sarah talk about things they did back in their student days as well, so, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things where actually wider survey and actually getting a perspective on that would be really useful as a church um, and something that we would look to do perhaps as that as that eco committee and love in, input and any ideas and thoughts on on that sort of thing going forward would be fantastic because um, we're a very small group um, and very new essentially as a group together so yeah no, that's good um, so we'll probably come back to some of those some of those things i wanted to, to talk a little bit about around why I kind of feel um, Christians should care, I suppose, about the environment, about climate emergency. I think it ties in nicely with some of the things that Martin spoke about this morning. Um, so I was just trying to speak a little bit on some of that. Um, it's actually, I can't take credit for it all. <laughs> uh, dived into um, John Mark Homer's Garden City, actually, and, and quite a lot of that, I think, I've managed to sort of pick and choose and, and apply in quite a nice way. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to go through a few things with that, and then and we'll do a few more activities, bits and pieces. Um, so, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think Genesis is, a, is an easy place, a great place to start. Um, the phrase there, heavens and the earth, is a, it's a Hebrew idiom, very similar to um, from top to bottom, that phrase we might use, and it refers to everything, absolutely everything, his creation of everything. Um, Hayley will know, I got really into the Bible Project app recently, I'm sort of geeking out on that, really enjoying it, um, and I think one of the reasons I'm loving that so much is um, the amount they talk about the Hebrew meanings in scripture, um, and actually how a lot of the translations we have can, can be lost in that. Um, so looking at an example of that, um, Genesis chapter 1, um, describing the world as formless and empty. Uh, in Hebrew, it's tohu wabohu, uh, which can translate to barren and uninhibited. Um, I'll refer back to that perhaps later on. Um, so there is a world there, but it's actually this deserted wasteland initially. Um, and then we get the story of, of Genesis. God works hard for six days, forming, filling up the earth with life. Um, and then day seven sits back and rests and admires his creation. Um, I don't think necessarily rest from tiredness, because does God actually get tired? But I think just joy in that creation. Um, he's enjoying his hard work and what he has produced. Now, the context of Genesis, we don't know exactly the author of Genesis, who, who wrote it, um, but we know that it's, it was written in or around the time of the, the ancient Near East, um, a very long time ago. And there were a lot of different creation stories around at that time, some which were very similar. Um, I think looking at some of those can be interesting to, to provide some sort of context to it. Um, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also some really stark and important differences, which I think relate to how God views us um, and our role on this earth as well. Um, so one of the most popular of these alternate creation stories um, was coming out of Babylon, um, the Enuma Eilish, might not have pronounced that right. Um, and in this story, basically, the gods are tired of, of doing work and they start to complain to the king of the gods, um, who's this guy called Marduk. Um, and his plan essentially is to outsource the gods' workload to humanity. Um, and he says the words, I'll establish a savage, man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. And a lot of other creation myths from around the same sort of time um, work on similar principles that humanity was created to work beneath the gods, um, to do the work for them. Um, but I think Genesis is really stark in, in contrast to that. Um, God takes pleasure in his work. He creates a world for humanity to enjoy alongside him. 
Um, we are his partners in that. We are not beneath him um, in the sense that he has created the earth for us. Um, we are not asked to work for him. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Um, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Back to some more Hebrew here. The word image is salem, um, which can be translated as idol or statue. Um, so an idol being a, a visual representation of an invisible being. Um, and in the ancient world and in many other religions, statues are put in temples so worshippers can see what that god was like. Um, and in that sense, we are God's statues, um, his salem. And we were put on earth to make the invisible God visible. The entire world and universe that our God has created is his temple. Uh, and we are his representatives to his creation, to his kingdom. Um, and obviously this weekend, talking about his kingdom come. Um, and the phrase Salem Elohim, uh, image of God, was used all over the ancient Near East, but only for the kings within those societies. So kings across civilizations in Egypt, in Mesopotamia, were seen as sort of demigods or part divine, and they would rule on behalf of the gods. Um, and they had unique relationships with the gods. And the thinking behind that was that the king was in the image of God, but everyone else was not. They were beneath that. Um, so going back to this original idea of humanity being workers for gods. But again, in contrast, we are told in Genesis that we were created in the image of God. Uh, and in that sense, we are all kings and queens. Um, not just those who come from a royal line or those from the upper echelons of society, um, but all of us are kings and queens and the entire earth is our kingdom. And Genesis continues, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And Martin spoke about this this morning. Um, and I've always been interested by that phrase, subdue it. And to me, it has always felt, like he said this morning, a little bit oppressive in many ways. And I've sometimes wrestled with that. Um, the Hebrew is kabash, the word kabash, um, which can mean exploit or enslave, which will be my understanding of that phrase, perhaps subdue it. But it can also mean to tame something that is wild or to bring order out of chaos, harmony out of disharmony. I think this goes back to that idea at the start where the world was barren and a wasteland and we are being asked to do something with that, to subdue it, to rule over it, to create something out of it. And then we have the phrase rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, and the word rule here is radar in Hebrew, which translates as reign or have dominion over. Um, I really like the way I found this translation that a Hebrew scholar had put it as to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And I think that is our definition of rule over the earth, over God's kingdom, is a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, Martin this morning also spoke about the, the phrase cultivate and keep from Genesis 2.15. Um, so to cultivate, to work, to serve, to worship, to make things flourish and keep, to protect, to cherish, to guard, to look after, to sow love into. 
So bringing us all together, God created us. He chose us to be his representatives. He chose us as kings and queens ruling over his creation. And speak to any child, children will know from an early age there are good queen kings and queens and there are bad kings and queens. Bad rulers might bring oppression and injustice, dehumanisation of people, stripping the earth of its resources for their own personal gain. Um, good kings and queens, on the other hand, ruling over an earth which flourishes. Um, there's harmony there. It depends on what kind of rulers we have what kind of rulers we choose to be. Um, And we have been given by God the responsibility of ruling over this earth. Um, And I think we have to ask ourselves, what kind of rulers are we going to be over our world? Are we going to be over God's kingdom? So I guess where are we now in all of this? Um, In terms of what God has said. Um, How is our reign over the earth going as a civilization? There's an awful lot to consider within that question. There's no easy answer. Um, We've certainly done many amazing things. We've harnessed our creativity, our ingenuity that God blessed us with to to make progress in a huge number of areas within industries, technology, healthcare, education. You could go on. But we also know that in Genesis, it didn't take long for things to go particularly wrong. We get to Genesis 3, we have the fall. Things are messed up. The world is broken. Um, we will know there are many inequalities um, and injustices across the world um, in different areas and different countries. Um, And I think that environmental justice is a huge issue um, that has many similar themes to other injustices, perhaps racial injustice. I think environmental justice entwines heavily with social injustices. We had uh, an OH1 those to be part of that um, together as a stream a while back, and I think those were the three themes that we're having a look at, race, social injustice, and environmental justice, um, what those issues are and, and how we might go some way to, to thinking about what we can do about those. Um, as I said earlier, Martin was talking about crawling in between that space, between heaven and between earth, and that really struck a chord with me, um, being pressurised and being squished, um, and for the environment, you know, my, my heart really aches when I see that destruction. The way in which we are treating the earth in, in certain places, I find it really difficult. It's a really hard place to be, and I'm sure a lot of you can empathise with that. Um, obviously, there's fantastic things out there, but we are having a huge negative impact um, on this world that, that God has created as well. Um, there's obviously a lot that's going wrong. Um, I could stand here, I could go through facts and figures and charts and graphs and things, but I don't think that that necessarily is a, is a helpful thing to do a lot of the time. I think, as we saw in terms of hope, it can often lead to people feeling a bit hopeless. Um, you can find that sort of information out there, you know, thinking about oceans, warmest record um, last year for, for how warm it was. Um, Surface temperature, again, going up, warming over land. We had the warmest year on record last year, 25 countries, in in 25 countries, um, in areas where 1.8 billion people live. We've got more extreme weather events than we've ever had before. Um, Sea level rising, greenhouse gases, sea ice melting. We could go on and we could go on. But actually, I don't think that those facts necessarily will change people's thinking all of the time. I think if that was the case, a lot more people would be doing a lot more 
because the facts are out there. And I don't think many people necessarily disagree with those facts. Governments see those facts, but they might still not choose to act on them. And in that way, I think actually it becomes a lot more of a heart issue. I think until you feel some sort of emotional attachment to things, to the environment, um, or it affects you directly, I think some people can find it easy to, to remove themselves from that and to, to not feel part of it. And actually in our country, we're quite privileged um, in some ways. You know, we don't have to worry about wildfires going on in the USA, droughts that are happening in Africa, islands that are disappearing in the Pacific, because it's not happening to us. And I think sometimes a lot of people don't engage with it um, for that reason. Um, yeah, I think a lot of you here probably are here because you feel that emotional attachment to it. Um, but sometimes I think it's interesting that throwing facts at people doesn't necessarily change their thinking on it. They will be aware of that already. Um, it's not necessarily going to change their hot posture towards it. So I guess coming to this weekend, um, thinking about God's kingdom come, um, it can be hard to have that faith um, that we can make a little bit of a difference, but I want to dive into that a little bit in a minute. Um, I guess we will have faith that, that one day there will be a new earth um, where everyone and everything will live in harmony. We won't have pain, we won't have suffering, and in my mind, you know, the environment will be restored to, to what God wanted it to be. Um, and we'll have environmental justice. Um, Jesus will come to bring justice to our planet in all forms. Martin said that this morning, and the environment is part of that. But actually, what does it look like for the here and now? Um, what about God's kingdom now? What does he want us to do? In what ways can we bring some of the kingdom of heaven down to the earth now? What changes do we want to see for our planet? Um I like the verse that, that Martin used this morning, Romans 14, 7, um, justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, applying that to, to the environment, our planet, I guess justice for our planet. Uh, peace, the idea of wholeness, wholeness for our planet. Um, and joy, ultimately, I think there's so much joy in creation um, and happiness in that, and we want to care for it so that we can have that joy. So I'd like us now to come out, I suppose, and, and have a little think about practical things that we can actually do to try and bring a bit of God's kingdom down. Um, what can we outwork or do in our own lives or perhaps beyond that to try and actually make some sort of a difference and, and bring some of that kingdom. Um, I'll briefly talk a bit more about the OH Eco team and then I'd like us to come up with some ideas and, and talk together because I think that is probably a, a valuable use of our time um, rather than me standing here and, and talking at you. Um, so I suppose in terms of, of what we've done already, because I don't think many of the, much of that has been communicated necessarily to, to OH, so the group was obviously set up, as I've said, um, getting on for almost a year ago. Um, we've spoken with and, and relayed with the OH leadership team, um, kind of different ideas and and thoughts. Uh, Caroline Harmon has, has kind of headed that up, I suppose, um, and been involved. Izzy Lowing, who's just gone on maternity leave, she's been someone who's been very directly involved in that and kind of a, a bit of a champion within the leadership team, I suppose, for us. And that's been a great link to have. And, and Marg is going to be taking that on um, as, she, as she steps back a little bit uh, for maternity leave. Um, I suppose our last Vision Sunday 
we had a bit of a commitment there um, to some environmental bits and pieces. Um, and I guess one of the things we've been working on is, is working towards achieving the Bronze Eco Church Award. Um, so that was set up by Arusha UK, which is a, a Christian charity, uh, working for the protection and restoration of our natural world. So there's lots of different criteria to kind of hit that. And actually, being honest about it, we probably hit a lot of those already. There's a few changes and things that we've had to do, but it's one of those kind of easy rungs at the bottom of the ladder to step onto before hopefully going and taking that forwards. Um, so it's things around the running of the building, um, how you're working, environmental teachings and thoughts into you know church life and that sort of bits and pieces, um, use of church land. And one of the final things we've got to, to tick off the list pretty much, we are just about there with it, is putting up some um, bird boxes, butterfly homes, boxes, bug hotels, those sort of things around um, St. Peter's. So actually doing that on the 19th of February, date for your diaries, um, which I think might be shared later this weekend as well, uh, which is a Saturday. Um, so once we've done that, we will hopefully be able to send off criteria and, and we'll achieve that as, as status. And I suppose that's the beginning of the journey as we see it. It's not necessarily about ticking boxes to get awards, but it's hopefully just going to raise awareness a little bit more um, and allow us a bit of a platform kind of going forward. So we were talking this week actually as the eco team about it that yes we you know we'd like to go forward towards silver and eventually gold award but actually it's not about getting awards it's about a deeper change within church um about people increasing awareness and you know what do we want as a team do we still want to be the same team in 10 years and actually that's where the drive is coming from ideally not i suppose we want the wider church to feel passionate about it to be educated about it um, and it to be something that is part of our ethos i suppose as a church rather than just being driven by a small group of people as a as a tick box exercise um, we want some sort of legacy i suppose is, is what we are sort of starting to to talk about um you can absolutely Hayley. yeah I think until we actually get some sort of feel for where people are at, I think it's quite hard to answer that question. Um, I think that's where actually us getting some sort of survey out, almost like we've done today, to see where people are. Um, because actually, if everyone turns back and says, actually, we're really aware of the issue, then we don't need to do that much education on it. But it might be, what do I, can I do in my own life? Then actually, that is, is the next thing. There, there's definitely some practical things as well. You know, we're looking into... So we're looking ahead to Silver Award, actually, it's, it's your energy source for the building, or it's shared with Elim. So then, you know, there's, that becomes a bit of a minefield, potentially, but actually, Caroline was saying, she initially thought that might be a stumbling block, but actually, that could be an opportunity. Because actually, Elim, nationally, they make decisions about their churches. So actually, if we get Elim nationally to commit to a green energy provider, well, that's a national change, which is absolutely fantastic. So, um, you know, there's potential things like that, I suppose. Um, but I think until we have an idea of where people are, I think it's quite hard to, to answer that. Um, I think the demographic we're in, you know, I think people are aware of it. I think people will do a lot of things already. It's, we're not starting from scratch, um, which is a, a positive, I suppose. Um, I think the church is a, is a wider body. I think there are some, some issues within that. I think we would like, at some point, you know, pioneer to, to try and drive something. Um, but I think as a as a almost a church at the head of that, we need to be seen to be doing something first, if that makes sense. 
um, declaring a climate emergency would be something that, that we would love open heaven to do in the future. I think that's a big statement. A lot of CLE churches have started doing that this year and the divestment from fossil fuels and, and all of those sorts of things. Rambly answer. <laughs> no, that's all right. No worries. Um, I think I'll come back to, to the eco team, but maybe just at the end. Um, another little activity, just kind of get up and around a little bit. So around the room, got a few different bits up. So we've got some different areas. So we've got food, kind of industry areas, food, energy, travel, nature, fashion. Um, and I just thought, going around perhaps in pairs or, or threes, making around each one, and just writing down any sorts of ideas around what you can do within those areas to, I guess, individually, you know, be better environmentally with that. So, I mean, something simple like energy, you know, looking for, for a green energy provider, um, travel, you know, what could you do to sort of improve those kinds of things? And just as an aim to sort of stimulate conversation, I suppose, around that as well. Um, I'm sure lots of you will do many things already. Um, do we think that would be a useful exercise for some of us? Or do we think, actually, we know quite a lot about those kind of solutions, if I could call them that already? Yeah? Do it together? Yeah? If we do it in a couple of... Maybe if we have three on this side and three on this side and then swap over. I've got some post-it notes and stuff, so we just write some ideas and drop them down. And I think it's interesting if you see what other people have written and then we don't end up repeating the same things necessarily. So do you guys want to grab those three from, from the wall and just bring them around? And if you guys grab those three and just have a bit of a chat around different things we can do in those and we'll kind of come back together. And these areas aren't obviously um, an exhaustive, exhaustive areas. They're just some kind of categories that I guess are the most commonly talked about in terms of there being issues and, and possible solutions. So if we have yeah, five minutes or so on each one or whatever time we need and then we can have a little switch over. Whatever you like, whatever you like. So 
That one's just like an extra tag on if you think anything doesn't feel, feel, uh, fit into any other categories. Yeah. Oh, whereas other than 
That's alright, don't, don't feel like you have to have something for everything. So. Nature's broad. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> right, that's my fault. <laughs> I'm giving them out. <laughs> Absolutely. What can I say? I'm a teacher. I like posting notes. Get excited by station. Yeah. 
is definitely a lot of work to be done. Mm. Infrastructure mm. or policy. In terms of food consumption, I think I don't know if eating less meat's on there. But oh, oh, of course. Did you see how many people tried veg. fake bacon this morning but left it on the plate? Was there fake bacon? There was fake bacon. I didn't get any fake bacon. It's not just normal bacon. There was normal bacon, but the veggie bacon was not a good veggie bacon return to zero return. It's a cultural thing, isn't it? Yeah, I need meat, I need meat. Yeah. Should we, um, should we come back together? Is there, um, is there anything burning that anyone wants to talk about off the back of that? There's obviously some good discussions going on in groups, just a chance to share some things. 
feels like there's lots of little, little issues that mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily make a big impact. And I think mm -hmm. we have much better clarity on some of the really big things that make the biggest impact. So like Pareto, if you do 20% like of the issues probably make more than 80% of the impact. Yeah. Yeah. Then actually, those are the things that we should focus on. And mm -hmm. some of those, it's just system change. Yeah. You know, that we have yeah. to force system change. Yeah, absolutely. Tweaking it. Yeah. yeah. That's where I think we can be more powerful because mm. we can make those individual choices but I don't know sometimes it feels a bit like we make it absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, you know, there's stats around isn't it I mean it's some ridiculous figures around the hundred or biggest companies produce like 80% of the emissions or something and it's that that is where the issue lies isn't it and you know you talk about travel and, and planes and we talk about short haul flight over, over here and you know you look at people the amount of private flights that go on and you know, football teams flying internally an hour at what will be an hour's drive and it's, it's just ludicrous isn't it and, and people you know all, all of that sort of thing going on space travel and all of that as well you know the, you could go on and on couldn't you um <laughs> yeah when you haven't discovered half of the things on this planet yeah because like, we always it's like we know less about the oceans than we do about mm -hmm. Um, yeah. About, um, space. yeah, yeah, but there's a there's a lot of tensions um, within these areas, aren't there? You know, in how we feel about them and in, in the way that things can be done, and actually in the practicalities of some of them as well. Um, you know, travel. We probably all still want to travel and go and see the world, and it's that tension of then, oh yeah, flying that's going to be bad. So you know, what what is the response to that? Is it doing it less often? Is it offsetting? Is it you know, all those sorts of things, and, and they're all individual decisions to be made, aren't they? Um, and I think it's important to recognise that it is impossible to do everything, and we cannot do everything, and as we talk about individual changes, you know, are, are only going to be a little a little drop there, uh, kind of in the ocean. Um, but there was, there was a quote which um, I think Ruth was using, actually, which she's preparing for, for something else, which was... Um, and I think this is, is good in, in response to the kind of hopelessness that some of us were were indicating earlier and, and I definitely recognise sometimes as well and it was um, everything you do as an individual is an act of leadership because it tells people around you what kind of person you are and gives them permission to do something similar or react to it the more people do, that, do it the better so everything you do as an individual is an act of leadership because it tells people around you what kind of person you are and gives them permission to do something similar or react to it the more people that do it the better I think sometimes it can feel like we are just individually fighting those own little battles and actually people aren't sort of aware around it. But slowly, I think it does make that difference. Um, and it's important that, you know, we keep on kind of fighting with it. Um, yeah, I think at the bottom of all of this is, is education, isn't it? Education around the issues. And, and most of us in this room, I think, probably feel fairly well educated about that. Um, Sometimes I think some of these things, though, we don't actually realise how big a problem they are until you begin looking into them. Um, I think some education around it can provide hope as well um, when you actually look at the fact that there are solutions out there and some people are working really hard on them and most people who are you know, right up there feel like it's not too late to actually reverse this. And you know, There is hope for the world still. I do, I do believe that and I do think... Um, that, that is the case. Um, there's a lot of, of clever people coming up with a lot of clever solutions to 
you know, all of these things. Um, it is just kind of pulling it all together, isn't it? But we do recognise, I suppose, that we're on a short, short timeline with it. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, personal things, obviously education talks about personal choices, you know, all of these fit into that. Um, I'd like to, to get a few of your thoughts on, on eco stuff quickly, or eco stuff in a second, um, but just a few other things that I got kind of jotted down. Um, probably most of you are aware of, of Christian Climate Action as, a, as an organisation. Um, Caroline Harmon was one of the founders of, of that. Um, but you know, if you're looking to get involved in a bit more sort of action, then that's a great place to start. Um, there's a climate vigil going on at the moment, a weekly climate vigil in Loughborough, outside Jane Hunt's office. Um, I'm not involved that much because I'm teaching on Friday. <laughs> but it's become wider actually than, um, than just our church. There's a lot of different people there from different backgrounds now. Um, but that's been going for since May last year. Um, so that's a way in which we've been trying to, I suppose, locally create some sort of impact. Um, speaking to Jane Hunt, we have spoken to her on quite a lot of occasions as you know, someone who is responsible for our borough, our area, our, our Loughborough. Um, 